and in our, our scripture today, and we just pray that you would uh, uh, just speak through me, that your words would come through, that it would be an encouragement to all online or here to hear this, uh, that your name would be praised, and Lord, that we would live a life worthy and glorifying to you. So we just lift up our time now before you, and we thank you and praise you for the time we have together and to be here in this building once again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. I guess the one thing maybe Ron didn't mention was there is a portable bathroom, uh, since we can't get into the building, on the uh, on this side over by the nursery and everything. Uh, so if, uh, if that is a need, that's where you can find it. So, <laughs> Okay. Well, we're going to be looking at 2 Timothy again, and we're going to be looking at 2 Timothy 3. Uh, verses 10 to 13, if you want to, if you have a Bible and you want to start turning there, you can. We will have the verses on the screen. Some of you, and I know this goes back a little bit, some of you may remember a comedian named Sam Levinson. Sam Levinson, I think he was more in the 60s, 70s, maybe 80s. Uh, but he recalled once telling a story about how his really overprotective mother uh, went with him on his very first day to school. She insisted when they got there on talking to the teacher before she would leave him there. And he goes on to say that among other things that he told the teacher, or that she told the teacher, she insisted that if the teacher found that Sam had misbehaved, that she should be sure to punish the boy next to him. And the teacher looked and said, why would I do that? And she said, because my little boy learns by example. (laughs) So... Now, to varying degrees, we all learn from and maybe are influenced by other people's examples. And Timothy was no exception. And today we're going to see in our passage in 2 Timothy 3 how Paul is going to use examples from his own life as an example for Timothy to follow. So let's start by reading our our scripture, 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 to 13. And they read this. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct. My aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived." Now, if you remember last week, we covered the first nine verses of 2 Timothy 3. And in those, Paul described the kind of people that would be uh, threatening society in the last days and the same kind of people that Timothy was going to have to deal with in his day as well. And Paul here is going to draw a clear distinction between Timothy and those that he mentioned that were ruled by the evil spirit of the last days. And he's going to contrast his own life with those mentioned in verses 1 through 9, because Paul had been a proven and faithful servant of God. We've seen going all the way back to chapter 1 that Paul is writing this to encourage Timothy. If you remember, Timothy has been left in charge of the church in Ephesus, and Paul is encouraging him for the work that he's going to have to do there. And so he's going to encourage him with some of these words, and he's also encouraging Timothy, as you remember, because Paul knows His life is coming to an end. And so he's encouraging Timothy for the time when he's no longer around as well. Paul's overall ministry, you could probably bucket into three main categories. His main purposes were, one, to know Christ. Two was to defend Scripture or defend the truth. 
And three was to minister or to preach in Christ's name. And in his two letters to Timothy, as we've seen over the last several months, he mainly focuses on that second goal of, uh, of that, which would be to defend Scripture or to defend the truth and make sure that's being taught. Now, Timothy, you might realize, having lived, traveled with Paul, taught with him, should be strong in this area, and he probably was. But again, Paul's looking to reinforce this in Timothy's life. And I'd say if it was good for Paul to reinforce it for Timothy, and if God saw fit to put it in Scripture, it's probably a good thing for us to reinforce it in our lives as well. Uh, So with that, let's take a closer look at these verses. Four short verses, but let's take a look because they're packed with some really, really good stuff. Starting with verse 10. Let me read verse 10 again. Verse 10, remember this is coming right after he's talked about all these ungodly um, men and uh, that were ungodly in character and their teaching. And he says, you, however, so he's talking to Timothy, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. As we've noted, Paul's life is a stark contrast to those that were mentioned in verses 1 through 9. And I think it's a warning for us. There's a warning for us to be careful in who we get caught up listening to. We can get caught up with the wrong examples. We can listen to the wrong people, have the wrong influence in our life. And Paul's trying to uh, encourage Timothy in those things to, to have the right example. We all, each of us, needs to be careful about that. 1 Corinthians 15.33 put it this way. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Now, we're in the middle of football season right now. Uh, I think of college football, so uh, college football season. And I don't know how many of you remember, uh, there was a, a running back at Ohio State about 20 years ago, Maurice Claret. And I think his life gives us a good example of, of this that we can use. Uh, matter of fact, there's a quote that I wrote in my Bible I'll read to you later that, that he makes. But if you don't know who Maurice Claret was, he was a running back for Ohio State, or I'm sorry, the Ohio State University for those that maybe went there. Uh, but he was there in 2002. And he was a freshman, ran for over 1,200 yards, which was a record for a freshman at that point, scored 18 touchdowns. The Buckeyes went 14-0 that year and won the BCS National Championship. In fact, Claret was the one that scored the game-winning touchdown in double overtime against Miami in that championship game. Uh, It was quite a game. However, Maurice Claret's time at Ohio State was marked by a lot of bad choices and very, uh, some very troubling incidents in which he got himself into trouble, uh, and some very uh, uh, legal issues and some, um, some uh, academic scandals as well. In fact, just nine months after that championship game, right before the 2003 season was to start, he got suspended by the team and then later was dropped from the university. They, they, they kicked him out. However, he was still pursuing football, And in 2005, he actually was drafted in the NFL in the third round. But unfortunately, uh, a lot of those same legal troubles we were with kind of kept him from ever making it in the NFL. And I think he tried a couple of of, uh, other startup leagues as well that he tried. And eventually, though, all those legal troubles ended up with with Maurice Claret in prison. Now, I am happy to say, in prison, he turned his life around. He finally realized uh, the influence on his life. Uh, that was a negative influence, and he turned his life around. In fact, he's now a much sought-after motivational speaker. In fact, uh, ESPN, if you've ever watched some of their 30 for 30 documentaries, they did one in 2013 called Youngstown Boys. 
And it was a story. He was part of that story. And they interviewed a lot of him and uh, a lot of his uh, colleagues and family and some of those, I think, so-called friends at that time. And he said something in that, in that uh, documentary that, that stuck with me, and that's what I wrote down. I wrote it right next to 1 Corinthians 15.33 uh, in my Bible because Mar- uh, Maurice Claret put it this way in his life. He said this, Show me your friends, and I will show you your future. It's a pretty powerful statement. He took responsibility for what happened in his life, but he also made strong uh, note of how he listened to the wrong people. He was influenced by the wrong influence, listened to the wrong things. And it, like I said, it ultimately ended up with him being in prison. He, didn't, he never became the football star that he, he, everybody assumed he was going to be. Uh, but like I said, I don't, know about his, I don't know about his spiritual standing with God right now, but I think we can all learn from his example on that. We can learn from the words that he gave us. Be careful who you listen to. And as a Christian, test what's being said, what you're listening to against Scripture. Is it aligned with that? John MacArthur makes a great point about this. He says, it is a, okay, I can't pronounce this word, inestimable, it is of inestimable importance that insofar as we are able to to determine it for ourselves, we should take great care in choosing those we associate with, especially if they're in, in a position to influence us spiritually. Well, back in verse 10, Paul reminds Timothy that he followed his teaching. That word followed that he's got in there, it means to accompany or it means to study with at close quarters or to take as an example for your life. Followed means Paul did not merely teach these things to Timothy, but rather that Timothy learned these things by following Paul's example. He saw how Paul lived. I've heard it said the best kind of Christianity is not only taught, it's caught by watching and seeing how other people live. I love there's a definition from a man named William Barclay, a famous preacher. He put it this way. And it's a great definition. It's a very comprehensive definition, so bear with me while I read this. When he talks about to follow someone, and he's talking from a spiritual standpoint here, it means to follow a person physically, to stick by him through thick and thin, and be by his side in fair weather and foul. It means to follow a person mentally, to attend diligently to his teaching, and to fully understand the meaning and the significance of what he says. And it means to follow a person spiritually, not only to understand what he says, but also to carry out his ideas and to be the kind of person that he wishes us to be. That definition, I think that comprehensive definition, that's what Paul is conveying to Timothy here, that it's a physical, mental, spiritual, it's an all-encompassing thing that uh, Timothy is going to need to follow. And so in verses 10 and 11, Paul goes on then, and he lists nine qualities that are characteristics that Timothy is going to need in his life. Remember, he's leading a church in Ephesus, so he's going to need all these nine characteristics. Let me read them again. It's in verse 10, and we read it before. He talks about my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, and sufferings. Did you notice how Paul used my in every single one of those? And it wasn't, he wasn't doing that out of arrogance. He wasn't looking for you know, um, glory out of that. Rather, he's using the fact that by the will of God, Timothy had a good example. He had a good mentor to follow. And those nine characteristics that we just read, you could probably subdivide them, I think, into three categories. There's uh, three of them that have to deal with ministry. Remember, 
Timothy's leading the church at Ephesus. So there's three that talk about ministry, and that would be teaching, conduct, and purpose. Then he goes on and mentions four things that are kind of personal virtues or personal values of faith, patience, love, and perseverance. And then finally, that third group would be difficult experiences. Persecutions and sufferings are mentioned in there. So I want us to take a look at those nine things real briefly, and let's see what's in there for us to learn from each of these things and how we can apply them to our lives. So the first thing he mentions under ministry duties is teaching. He says, my teaching. It's a reference to that divinely inspired apostolic teaching that Timothy received from Paul. If you remember all the way back to chapter 1, Paul reminded us that he was an apostle of God uh, by the will of God. And so he's given this apostolic teaching to Timothy. Next week, we're going to see in in verse 16 of this chapter that all Scripture is profitable for, you probably know it, what's the first thing? Teaching is the first thing listed, among other things. And if we go back to chapter 2, we can see that we were told to entrust all these truths to faithful men who would do what with them? Who would teach them? So there's a strong emphasis on teaching. Paul taught the truth. He exposed the illusions and delusions of the day as we saw in verses 1 through 9 last week. Matter of fact, when I say that, I can't help but think of VBS in 2021 because we had a room full of kids here and we taught them about faith without illusion. Uh, It was was a uh, a great set of lessons. And many of those same illusions and delusions are still with us today. It's it's kind of what you might call this like pseudo-Christianity that gets taught. It's a a mix of of self-help and uh, science and psychology and and cult-like philosophies, all kinds of stuff that gets mixed together. But we need to know the truth. We need to be aware of all these things, and we need to be grounded in the truth so that we're able to stand, and that we can teach the truth when the truth is not spoken. And let me say, there's going to be plenty of opportunities for us to stand for the truth. But when you do that, when you approach somebody with the truth, please make sure we do so in love as well. That's an important thing. So he talks about teaching. Well, Paul then goes on to mention his conduct. He says, my conduct. Timothy, had firsthand knowledge of Paul's conduct. He saw how Paul's teaching, his words, his actions were all lined up. They lined up with Scripture. In other words, we should all live what we preach. Unfortunately, there's a lot of examples in the world today of people who have taught things, but their actions and their words didn't align with what Scripture taught. And unfortunately, what happens in that case is the gospel message suffers. We need to make sure that our lives are aligned with Scripture. We must each have integrity in our words and our deeds. We've got to ask ourselves, do my actions, my thoughts, what I'm saying, what I'm doing, do they align with what God wants me to do? Do they align with Scripture and what I know is to be true? Do they please the Lord? I like the way Ray Stedman put it. He said about a Christian's conduct, Christianity is not a way of doing special things, It's a special way of doing everything. It's the way we live everything in our life. And the way that we live is a testimony to the world. The way you live, and people are going to watch that. Matter of fact, I love, there's a quote from Andrew Carnegie, the the famous businessman. He put it this way. Uh, Later in his life, he says, As I grow older, I pay less attention to what men say. I just watch what they do. Our testimony, how we live, is it aligned with Scripture? People are going to watch. Well, after talking about teaching and conduct and this whole idea of ministry, the final thing mentioned is my purpose. What is our purpose for service? Our sermon title today was What You Can Be. 
What is your purpose? Paul was a servant, not a celebrity. Do we, like Paul, have a purpose in life that's to be separate from the evil ways of the world, the ways that he just mentioned in the first nine verses of this chapter? Do we have that in our life? Is that a goal for us? I love it when Paul, in 1 Corinthians, he gave a definition of what his purpose was, and I think he covers all three of these things about teaching, conduct, and purpose in them. Let me read you 1 Corinthians 9.16. It says this, For if I preach the gospel, that would be the teaching part, that gives me no ground for boasting, that would be the conduct part, for necessity is laid upon me, that's the purpose. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Paul wanted to do God's work, and he wanted to finish the work that God had given him to do. Our purpose should also be a godly life. It should be a holy life that's pleasing to the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.9 tells us, Whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, that being God. So we've had these three things of ministry-related ideas. Now Paul goes on, the next four things are personal virtues or personal characteristics that, that we should be pay attention to. And the first one he mentions is my faith. When Paul mentions my faith, it could have actually been written my faithfulness. Because what he's referring to here is not saving faith, but rather to the way of life of someone that's already a believer. Saving faith actually refers to active personal trust. It's your commitment of your life to Jesus Christ. And let me just say, if you don't know that first basic step, come talk to me afterwards. Be happy to tell you how you can know that you have Jesus Christ as your Savior. And that's saving faith. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. Here, Paul's talking about the faithful way of life of a believer. It's a testimony to the world. I love uh, the acronym we use sometimes. I, Jennifer and I were debating. I don't know if we've used this in Kids Bible Club or Children's Church, but I, I know I've heard it. So, <laughs> It's faith. If you just want to know what faith is, simple acronym that we use with kids, F-A-I-T-H. And it's forsaking all, I trust him. And that would be God. Forsaking all, I trust him. Trusting God in all things in your life is what Paul modeled for Timothy. It's what he wanted for Timothy to model for others, and it's what we should be, he would want us to be modeling in our lives as well. So after faith, Paul mentions patience. Now, in context, the word used for patience implies the idea of not only general patience, but also steadfastness or long-suffering. In other words, it's the ability to stick with it, to be patient and stick with it, even when things get tough. Again, it speaks to the way of life of a believer. It's, our, it's maybe like a resolute spirit in serving Christ. Do we have that in us? It's that determined way of life. Being determined and, and having a determined way of life, I can't help but think of uh, one of the, the famous quotes that's out there. It's Winston Churchill. Uh, you've probably heard this one when he, he made this in World War II where he said, Never give in. Never give in. Never, never, never. Never in nothing, great or small, large or petty. petty. Never give in except to uh, convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force. Never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. We don't give in. As Christians, we don't give in to this world. But, as it tells us here, we also have to be patient with people, too. God's doing a work in their life, and we have to be patient with them. Ministry always comes down to people. And remember, he's telling this to Timothy, who's leading the church in Ephesus. He's telling him to be patient. He wants, 
He wants Timothy to practice patience, and he knows he's going to have to demonstrate it for uh, patience as well. I think we could just simply say, if you want other people to be patient with you, be patient with them. So he's looking at faith. He says, my patience. And then he goes on to mention my love. Now, this is the first fruit of the Spirit, as we all uh, probably know from Galatians 5.22. Love is the first fruit. Ephesians 5.2 tells us, Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. It's that agape love that, that uh, we have. It's, it's the unselfish love. As Timothy grew and as he you know, ministered to the church in Ephesus, he was going to need to show love to everyone. He was going to have to show them the love God has for them. Um, I've heard it put this way. You don't regard anyone with contempt or disdain or put anyone down. All of us are made in God's image and should be shown the love that goes with that. Now, thinking of love, there's a song that I always think of. And T.R., I don't know if you T.R. said, but he mentioned this a few weeks ago in his opening. that I, he, he said I was a children's uh, song expert, and I think there's probably others that have that. But I do remember a lot of children's songs. But I always think, when I think of love, of that song that we sang, I know we sang it in Kids Bible Club and Children's Church and at camp, is from 1 John 4, 7 and 8. I think a lot of you know it, because those verses say, and, and you sing it, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Okay, and i got to finish it. Beloved, let us love one another, First John 4, 7 and 8. So I do know all the kids' songs, T.R., so. <laughs> but it's a great song. And it's a great reminder of the love that God has for us. In fact, did you realize the last prayer that Jesus makes on this earth before his arrest and uh, conviction and crucifixion was about love for us? Uh, listen to John 17, 25 and 26. Jesus prayed, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you that you have sent me. I made, them known, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. What an incredible promise from God, to, from Jesus, to pray for us in that situation about love for us. Well, finally, Paul finishes a short section on personal virtues by mentioning uh, his steadfastness or his perseverance. Uh, other words that you might be able to insert in there might be endurance or fortitude or maybe the idea of bearing up under something. It's not really referring to enduring difficult people, although that is definitely needed in our lives and in ministry, Timothy would need, but it's dealing with difficult circumstances that he's talking about here. It's the ability to continue living the way that God wants, even when we're faced with trials. And I would say we can find confidence, great confidence in the way we live by living that way. Listen to Hebrews 10, 36. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. The whole idea of bearing up, if you think about steadfastness or bearing up under something. Uh, Ray Steadman gave this advice, and it's a quick little quip, but I, I love the way because it's an easy thing to remember. He said, when something happens to me, I remind myself, it didn't come to stay, it came to pass. So just something quick you can remember, but it's a, it's a nice little quip there to, to think about. Well, finally, Paul moves on to the, the last grouping of things in there. And uh, he mentions in verse 11, his, his is my persecutions and my sufferings. In our day, and, we, and I heard somebody mention this in, in the first service, 
We can think of stories where Christians are being persecuted all over the world. Think of uh, the stories we hear from like groups like Voice of the Martyrs where people in, in China or in Russia or in the, the Middle East or anywhere, there's a lot of anti-missionary laws being enacted and all over the place where Christians are being persecuted for their faith. Persecution didn't stop Paul in his day, and it should not stop Christians today. Now, I would say we're not gonna, we may not see a whole lot of violence here in Fort Bend County. We may not see some of the economic persecutions that other Christians in the world face. And I would say we should be very thankful for that. But I think there is a great deal of persecution that we do face as Christians, even here in the U.S., in Fort Bend County. And I think it's a social persecution that we face in great deal here today. Christians in our society, we have to deal with all kinds of things. Uh, think of the way social media is used. Think of the way it's used as a weapon. People are trying to negate, or think of the, the whole cancel culture. Do people not try to be out there and cancel the gospel message? Absolutely, it's happening. First Peter 4.4 4 tells us the mindset of those that are trying to do that. It says, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. Does anyone find you strange because of your Christian beliefs? Probably. Probably. Christians are persecuted for the same reason Jesus was. Listen to John 3.19. This is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. There are persecutions that are out there. A literal meaning of persecution could be putting something to flight, you know, like kind of having to, to run away from something. Paul's referring to his refusal to, to you know, to flight, to be put to flight, or to stop proclaiming the gospel. Paul and Timothy had probably often been put to flight. Matter of fact, if you look in the verses, he's going to mention a couple of, of places that they were done that. And if you think about Paul's former life, Paul's former life when he was known as Saul, he was the persecutor. He was the one that was persecuting the church and persecuting Christians. But praise God that by the will of God, the persecutor became the persecuted. Paul became an expert, in fact, on what persecution and suffering looks like. In 2 Corinthians 11, he lists some of the ways that he was persecuted or that he faced sufferings. Listen to some of these from 2 Corinthians 11. See, Paul tells us, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times shipwrecked. A night and a day adrift at sea. On journeys in dangers from rivers, from robbers, from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. I think Paul knew something about suffering and something about persecution. Um, and Timothy, having traveled with him, would have known about some of those things. In fact, if you look in, I think it's verse 12, it mentions uh, there's three places that he mentions. He said, uh, you know about my uh, persecutions and sufferings in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. And Timothy would be very, he may have either been with him or would certainly be well familiar with those things because all three of those places are in Timothy's home district of Galatia. And in fact, Lystra was Timothy's hometown. So I'm sure he knew about what was happening. In the book of Acts, if you're wondering, tells us what those persecutions were. In Antioch, in Acts chapter 13 and verse 50, it tells us that they were driven out of the district. They were forced out for preaching the gospel. He mentioned Iconium in Acts 14.3, 
uh, through 6, it tells us they were threatened to be stoned and were thrown out of the city. And then in Lystra, again, that was Timothy's hometown. In Acts 14, verses 19 and 20, we find out Paul was stoned in Lystra and was thrown out. They thought he was dead. They stoned him and they threw his body out of the city thinking he was dead. But then there's an amazing, uh, amazing word in verse number 11. It says, yet. And look at verse 11. It says, yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Note that God didn't take Paul from the trouble, but he, he rescued him out of the trouble. And got to remember, Paul is writing this. Remember where he's writing 2 Timothy? He's in a Roman prison awaiting execution. He knows his last days are coming. He knows that the God who rescued him in the past is quite capable of rescuing him again. Or he might not. Paul seems at complete peace with that. But he knows he's not going to stop testifying to the gospel, and he's not going to stop encouraging Timothy as well. Note how, note how he exalts in there. From them all, the Lord rescued me. I think he could say like the psalmist in Psalm thirty-four, nineteen: Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. I personally think when I think of... Uh, persecution and suffering like that in prison. I think of Daniel 3. I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were faced with being thrown into a fiery furnace. And what did they say to the king? They said, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. <laughs> I love the, uh, the faithfulness they have. But some people have the idea that being a Christian means that they're going to have an easy life and they're not going to face any suffering when exactly the opposite is true. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 in our passage says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus himself told us it was going to happen. In John 15, he said, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. John MacArthur put it this way, It's those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus who will be persecuted. Now let me be clear. Not every believer is going to face martyrdom. Not everyone's going to face uh, imprisonment or torture or, or that martyrdom for their faith. But all believers should expect some form of opposition from this world. And when opposition does become severe enough from the world, you will suffer for your faith. Some of you may uh, recognize the name Ben Stewart. Uh, he was at Texas A&M leading the Impact Organization for several years. And uh, quite an amazing thing to see five to 7,000 people every Tuesday, gathering for a Bible study on a, on a public college campus. It's amazing. Uh, but he, he's actually in, I think, the Washington, D.C. area now. But he put it this way, talking about the, uh, Paul and his suffering. He said, this world is a crazy place. It was crazy in Paul's time, and it's crazy in our time. But we can be encouraged that the Lord who delivered Paul is the same Lord who can deliver you as well. See, none of this takes God by surprise. A good reason we should all surround ourselves with Christians, whether it be coming here to meet at church every week, maybe it's joining a small group or maybe a, joining a prayer group or something, 
is that you can learn from each other. You can hear how other people have faced difficult circumstances. You can be encouraged and find the encouragement to stand strong and to be that steadfast person in your faith when you face uh, trials and tribulations. But you might ask yourself, wait a minute. If we're just trying to be like Jesus, that's a good thing, right? Why would anybody get mad at me or want to persecute me for wanting to be like Jesus? And I think the answer is pretty simple. Those people are being deceived by Satan. And because a godly life is going to expose their wickedness and their sin. And guess what? People don't want their wickedness and their sin (laughs) exposed. Uh, Instead of repenting and turning to Christ for forgiveness of that, they seek to destroy the one who exposed their sin. Look at verse 13. It tells us in verse 13, While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Those evil people, I think it just it's open enemies of God. And that mentions imposters. And I like this one because I think we can really all relate to this. If you look up imposters, you can actually translate it as one who wails or howls. Go on the internet, watch some YouTube videos. Can you find anybody wailing or howling about anything? How about all kinds of stuff, and especially about Christianity? I mean, there's plenty of videos where people will try to take down Christianity. And I think I love that idea of wailing and howling. They, they try to pervert the word of God. And think again of those people that we heard about last week in verses 1 through 9. I think it also refers, when it says imposters, to the people who, and we've heard about this in, in these passages, who infiltrate the church and may seem good on the outside, but they're actually destructive forces among God's people. We've got to be aware of that. We've got to know that the illusions of this world are out there, and we have to be ready with the truth to face them. Now, Paul was under no illusion that things were just going to get better. Uh, he had, uh, In fact, he knew the opposite was true. Look again at verse 13, because it says, Evil men and imposters would do what? They're going to go from bad to worse. And as they go from bad to worse, so is their influence on other people. I think their attacks will get more subtle, but I think they're going to get bolder as well. And it tells us they're not only going to deceive others, they're going to deceive themselves. I think of it this way. They're going to tell their lies so much and so often, they're going to believe it themselves as well. Once again, I think if you watch TV or watch the internet, you can probably find plenty of examples of people that do that today. But think back also to 2 Timothy 3.9. There are limits. It was the last verse uh, from last week's passage. But they will not get far, for their folly will be plain to all. Remember, God is sovereign over all. Man is not in charge of this world. Their stupidity and their folly will eventually become apparent. But the way that we or any believer is going to be able to stand for truth when all that false teaching is out there is that we have to be involved in the God in the Word of God every single day. We've got to be studying the Word of God. That's why we encourage daily reading, whether it be the one-year Bible or your own uh, personal time. Get into the Word. Get yourself grounded into the Word so that you can stand for the truth. Ben Stewart, let me quote him one more time, says, If you're not swimming against the stream, you're not really going to be a change agent in society. To help make society different, you've got to be different. So, We've looked at all these verses, all these nine things. How do we wrap this up? How do, we, how do we put a bow on this whole thing? How can a Christian cope in difficult times? The sermon title said, What You Can Be. Well, I think Paul, in this short passage, gives us a couple of simple things that you and I can do leaving here today. And it would be my challenge to you. The first simple thing is, 
remember the example. Remember the example Paul gave, how he taught the truth, how he lived righteously, how he practiced what he preached, and he expected some trouble from it. Remember the example. And the second thing is, trust Scripture. Trust the guide that God has given you. He's given us his word. It's called his two-edged sword. It's living and powerful. We can use the word of God to influence this world. And we do that with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, having heard God's word, you've heard me say this before, you are not being dismissed. You are being sent. God has planted you in a dying, decaying, morally corrupt world to stand firm with the truth for his righteousness. Think again, what can you be? Will you follow Paul's example, which ultimately is the example of Jesus Christ? Will you walk out of here today and live this way each day, remembering the model and trusting in Scripture? Let's go ahead and pray. God, we just thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement we can have, uh, the example we have in the life of Paul, and, and Lord, the ultimate example, the life of Jesus Christ, who the world rejected, but Lord, he was our Savior. We thank that we can sing about him, we can read about him. Lord, help us to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to this world that needs it so badly, that needs the truth. Lord, help us to stand firm when we face struggles or persecutions. Help us to be the ones that live out our life, that our lives may be aligned with your word. So we just lift this up before you now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.